0: Welcome to the Progressive Britain Podcast. This is the review show for episode twenty-nine where we discuss new power with guests Henry Timms and Jeremy Hymans. My name is Richard Angel, Director of Progress, and I'm joined by digital editor Sam Bright to discuss the emergence and the limitations of new power and movements. So this week on the Progressive Britain podcast, we have the authors, Henry and Jeremy, of their new book, New Power. And uh, I think it's a a different topic for the Progressive Britain podcast to get into the heart of movement politics, what makes it tick, what makes it effective, why it's different from, say, the miners' strike, the trade union movement, and how movements have emerged previously, but crucially, how we can galvanise these things going forward and understanding it. So I think it's fair to say, Sam, this was Peak Sam Bright, you were (laughs) uh, you were thoroughly enjoying the chat and uh, and the discussion that followed. What's your sense about what we learned about new power and how progressives should be deploying it? Yeah, well, uh, like you say, I was I was salivating over this podcast. I thought it was
1: fantastic. As far as I kind of understand New Power, it's constructively chaotic in the sense that you can't necessarily control things from the top down in the way that perhaps traditional movements did so more. It's very much grassroots orientated, it's organic. The supporters of the movement actively get involved with moulding the message. And I think in terms of progressive politicians it may be a bit disconcerting because you don't want to release power, really. You want to control your message and make sure that, you know, you get absolutely the point across that you want to, but... By empowering your base, as we've seen with Trump, even Obama, Bernie Sanders, it can have massive benefits. And actually, a lot of people at the grassroots have a lot to give back to a campaign and can actively mold the message that resonates in a way with people at, you know, on the coal face of things in local,
0: in local parties and local constituencies. I think that's true. I quite like some of the comments about lots of this stuff isn't new, right? There are movements that have been and, and gone, some of them, over the ages. Many of them are bottom up. Many of them are organic in their nature. But the current technology that is available largely and obviously the availability of the internet means that speed is such a factor in the way they weren't previously and also nobody needs permission to be involved in some way so while trade unions were bottom up they had a membership fee to be part of them because there was a kind of basic level of solidarity that required that kind of insurance at work then had a democratic nature that provided it with leadership and an ability to talk into the echo chamber and then be stronger outside of it but it can take unknown individuals to become famous and of course currently famous people can just add huge amounts to some of these movements that come about through social media and they might start with the kind of the little person in that sense but suddenly get elevated into that new sense so i thought their argument that you know, this could be for good or bad, and we've seen really strong examples of both of those. And I think both sides of the gun lobby have essentially used that effectively in the States, whether it's to put out pernicious ideas for those who are pro the gun rules in America, but of course you know, the kids that had been in the school that got was under attack recently, that how they had been able to use it to their own advantage, and that in this they seem to have turned the dial because they're skilled in the new power. And that was what I thought was interesting is that, you know, data is the new commodity in politics in many way. But being able to use that and harness that and work it is something that is a skill. And with all good skills, they need honing. Mm. And you can't just go for it. And part of our problem is we've either got politicians who are kind of schooled in government politics, i.e. writing a paper, get it on the best two-pager, you can make the argument and a civil servant will have to do it because you're right. So you don't need any supporters in that model because you just need to be right in the discussion and you have formal power to deliver it. And I think... The hangover from the new Labour years, arguably, the Labour moderates have got a lot of people who have been schooled heavily in that politics. Or they want to do it by bypassing having a supporter base, or they want to go straight to having a kind of idea that they think should go viral and they kind of can't quite work out how to do the bit in between. And it almost seems to me we have a series of politicians at the other extreme to the kind of those in government politics that want a fan base and not a movement. And that difference between having fans and supporters is that you often meet them and your interaction with them. So you can be a celebrity and have fans who are just adoring and will retweet or will go to your concerts or buy stuff because you are endorsing it. But there is something about power that you're trying to exercise in that way that requires the interaction that's very important. Yeah, uh, one
1: thing that Henry raised as well that I thought was very interesting was that um he thought that
0: Trump would win in 2020 again. I think he's right. Yeah. This... You look at the Democrats and they're looking for the person who can make the best speech about why Trump is wrong, not the person who can actually galvanize a group of people. And they also think the way to galvanize a group of people is to have the best anti-Trump Speech and to kind of do a rainbow politics of add up all the people who hate Trump, which if you look at the opinion polls, is quite a lot. But that doesn't mean that doesn't add up to more than the sum of its parts. And also, it doesn't have necessarily. You might have individual bits of intensity that they talked about in that Trump has exploited, but collectively, do they?
1: This is the big issue, and the fact is as well that Trump has stayed in campaign mode. He unlike Obama, unlike Obama, who actually wanted to get on with governing. Trump's not bothered about that. He's bothered about um, perception, about public perception. And he's bothered about how um, the broadcast media talk about him, which is why he's elevated so many people from being his advocates on Fox News to being alongside him in the White House. And he's got, it seems, this group of people, sort of the Ann Coulters of the world, who go and take his message to the alt-right, to the grassroots and reaffirm his base. And he seems to have cultivated this sort of little system of influencers who then just trickle his message down. And he's continued to funnel content in their direction. And it seems that Kanye West has even bought into this in the past couple of days. I don't know whether you've seen this, Richard. So Kanye West has um declared his, his love for said um president of the United States, Donald Trump.
0: Oh no. And
1: he's gone around wearing a make America Great Again cap. Um but this is the sort of thing that Not in
0: an ironic way. Not in an
1: ironic way, in a totally I I adore Trump sort of way. Oh, this is sad. I know. You're fortunate that you haven't come into contact with this in the past uh, couple of days, Richard. Stop making me sound like I'm
0: <laughs> old and irrelevant, but thanks for that. You're ju- you're just busy, Richard, that's I'm all. Very, very busy, very <laughs> very uh I, important point. I think that you know, Obama prided himself on that kind of, the, the, the kind of prose of the campaign that brought him into office, and then the kind of processorial nature of governing, that he was thoughtful and commanding, and that, you know, he did show the limits of movements, that they got him into power, and ultimately he had to rebuild to get him re-elected, but he couldn't provide it in office. When they moved the Obama for America into organizing for America, it just didn't translate and these guys described it as a cash cow they kind of went out to him to ask for they went out to the the list for more money but not for participation and they certainly weren't bought into the compromises that made obamacare although to be fair when the republicans rallied against it in the midterms and they, they did kind of come back for that I yeah think it's fair to say. and uh, do you think In terms of, you
1: know, what the next step is for the Democratic Party, are they going to go in the direction of sort of Bernie politics? Are they going to respond to Trump by going for this person who can cultivate a new power movement? And in addition to that, is Joe Biden or someone like that able to cultivate a new power movement,
0: do you think? I think internally, it seems to be that the Clintonite wing, if you want, and its legacy, have been doing well, actually, in the party compared to what everyone expected. One of the things about the Bernie camp and their sense of movement and how they've bought into it is they believe they are so right and so great that they kind of won everything on a moral level, and that's all that mattered. So they got less votes than Hillary Clinton, but that didn't seem to matter. And then somehow they believe that even though he would do worse in the polls than Hillary Clinton, but the polls proved that Hillary Clinton would win and that he would win, that therefore he would have beaten Trump, despite... There'd never been any negative campaigning against him ever. And there was maybe one or two points that people could have gone on with Bernie if he was a candidate. So I think there's a group of people who are so convinced by Bernie and it's never been challenged, essentially. But actually, the Democrats internally, the way they organise themselves, that hasn't kind of broken through. But what that will mean for the candidate going forward is unclear because it seems the Democrats are bereft of options rather than having a debate about what strategy to pursue with the options they've got available. Yeah. And the crucial thing that none of them seem to be doing is actually speaking to the kind of policy problems with which Hillary arguably had, and the sense that the democratic project was for different bits of this kind of rainbow coalition, but didn't have an offer for America overall. And you know, we've seen actually with Bill Clinton and recent examples here that you can do the equality politics of gay marriage or equal pay or whatever, and that fits into a bigger agenda for the country that kind of adds up to more than some of its parts. The danger is when you just do it as silos that those things kind of, and you hope that them sitting next to each other gets you enough support. But, you know... I think that's difficult
1: yeah the thing with bernie as well it seems that although the new power theory is one that i i really buy into although i haven't read the book i hope to it seems that there are certain
0: limitations perhaps it was literally out on the day that we put the podcast out so i think your, oh, your ability to have read it was was was, was, was tricky. diminished was exactly tricky. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very old power delivery model of its message it, it was wh- like physically a book i was supposed to get the thursday before it never arrived yeah. so typical mm. <laughs> but um you know bernie didn't win the democratic
1: primary w- despite having a new power model Theresa may has zero online presence she's literally had to pay people to do her social media kind of i mean they have to take them in the ground. old
0: model they can't even get people to deliver old fashioned bits of paper through people's doors they pay people to do that yeah let alone like exactly and yet she's prime minister yes exactly so, <laughs> she it's... did actually get more votes than labor i know that is a big shock to people out there but yeah, yeah. so you do
1: kind of have to have other things you can't just have this wellspring of, of people at the grassroots to take your message out you've got to have the right message i think is is something to take away it's a really scary
0: question for you oh gosh is there a tory that we think knows how to wield new power oh jacob rees mogg i'm not that... sure whether he knows how to but did, did corbyn know about social media corbyn didn't but there were people who were, people were around him around him were you know navara media was a creation pre- corbin mm. it was ready to ride the wave when it came arguably compass had done some of the work although that was totally engulfed by the time that came about but there was also then a moment of which john landsman did a very effective job mm. of galvanizing and of course owen jones was, was a, owen jones kind of had the yeah uh, he sort of platform. laid the he laid the foundations didn't he owen jones yeah i think he'd done yeah he he got corbin the first x many thousand yeah. followers that was a lot of that he'd done he kind of cultivated the turf but so and there are definitely groups around jacob reese mogg mm. young Britons foundation and others that are investing in this stuff you can tell and nigel farage now i think this week came came out in support of Jace, jacob rees mogg and of course nigel farage has got a massive online following and he has because they essentially bought it in the grassroots out campaign during the referendum so yeah. That's quite worrying. What about Ruth Davidson? She's obviously talked to as the kind of centrist hope on the Tory side. She doesn't seem, she's got a kind of, she doesn't seem to uh, there doesn't she seem breaks to be out to sort a of normal Tory mold doesn't she she gets herself on uh, have I got, got, got news to, for you etc yeah she does Yeah. has she got a, I a, think a she's movement got, has she got a I, social media I haven't media?
1: seen it I haven't seen any movement behind her but I can see the facets of what makes a successful grassroots movement in the future potentially for her that kind of humour the sort of yeah, the, the, uh, the vulnerability in a way coming across as a normal person she seems to have that and so I could certainly see something emerging around her in the
0: future and if you think if Theresa May had got two thousand more votes in over the right seats, she'd have an outright majority now like yeah. any Tory with the, even a vague ability to do this could be quite worrying for Labour so I mean, that is the worrying thing that the Tories literally can't get worse
1: they can't <laughs> do worse yeah. next election than they did yeah than they did in 2017 on social
0: media it's not going to be possible they're trying with Windrush and the likes I mean they like I mean what a way true, in the yeah in the run-up to a local elections where most of the local elections are, well, all of them are in urban areas. The big part of it is in London. Mm. These are very diverse places to have not put that, to, for it to have taken Commonwealth leaders to impress upon the Prime Minister the need to change this. Yeah. And obviously wonderful leadership from people like David Lammy. Mm remarkable
1: isn't it it is i I just wonder whether this this is the first of many immigration scandals as well i mean the caribbean is just one part of the world the home office has had an approach a hostile approach to lots of countries around the world the middle east i wrote in one of my daily roundup emails which you should all subscribe to this week that they have a very how would they subscribe to it they would subscribe by going to prog.rs forward slash lists and uh, I wrote that the the Home Office has a very hostile approach to Afghanistan. Despite the fact that we saw the Kabul bombing last, last weekend, 70% of the territory in Afghanistan is controlled by either the Taliban or Islamic State. And yet the Home Office thinks and Britain that, had a little role in that. and yeah, a little bit of a role in that. And yep. the Home Office still thinks it's okay to send people back there. They say it's safe for deportees and it's it's just shocking. So I wonder whether this is going to roll on um, a lot longer.
0: Well, this debate is clearly going to roll on a lot longer. So thank you for all the people who fed back on their thoughts on uh, the podcast this week. Clearly it made um, Sam incredibly happy at work this week, which is why you've seen his productivity go through the roof <sighs> if you're following our... Facebook account and, uh, and various other social media um, outlets which again if you're not following please do follow us at Progress Online or on Facebook which is forward slash Progress Labour so please do follow us on both of those things we had some iTunes reviews this week we did indeed uh, Darren Hardy said very well produced and
1: interesting podcast five out of five would podcast again Thank you, Darren. That's very nice. And Andrew Burridge, who said, I agree with the comments below about similarities to Podsaver America. They've got some excellent people on so far with informed perspectives from progressive politics. Excellent analysis and humour without the lads banter and meanness that some podcasts end up leaning towards. Keep it up. Well, Richard... You're not often mean. I mean, occasionally, but uh, I think you—you you, know—not um, really very laddie. Not very laddie. No, that, I think that's a—that's a—that's a fair—that's a, that's a, fair, a fair review. Thank, thanks for that Well, Andrew. we'll
0: send um, a progress mug to both of those people because they're both very kind and hopefully fair iTunes reviews I know we ask this every week but please do leave your iTunes review it's very important I had some very clever person tell me stuff that I didn't really understand the other day but the algorithms on iTunes which is where most people listen to podcasts uh, there are obviously other formats available but it is the overwhelming leading provider do base how they promote your podcast on how many people subscribe how many people rate your podcast, and the reviews that you get. So it's really important, not just for those who currently listen, but to get this message to those who don't listen. Feed the algorithm, guys. (laughs) Feed the algorithm. Finally, every week we ask a political pub quiz question. Following Welsh Labour Conference, we asked how many UK Prime Ministers have had Welsh constituencies? And the answer is the answer is three. So the three are David Lloyd George, who was
1: MP for Carnarvon, Ramsey Macdonald, who was MP for Aberavon, and James Callaghan, who was MP for Cardiff South West. So congratulations to Rhys Hayes, Jonas Mesa—I hope I've pronounced that correctly—Harry
0: Picken and Matthew Sanders, who all answered correctly. So if you want your mug sending to you, send your name and address to office at Progress online and we will make sure the mug goes in the post. We've already begged you to rate the podcast. We've already begged you to review it, so we know you're going to do it anyway. And because you love it so much, we'll know you'll press the subscribe button so that the next edition of the Progress Podcast comes straight to your phone. We've been the Progressive Britain Podcast, and we'll be back next Tuesday with a fascinating discussion about trans equality and the struggle for equality here in the UK. Join us then.
1: Been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music is when in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and this episode was produced by carolyn Crampton.
0: planning for your next trip